This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to a Real Man Wood podcast. This is Chris List, your host. And I am talking, as usual, to my co-host, Dalton Del Don of Yahoo Sports. What's going on, man? Uh, not much, Liz. Uh, before we get to that, was an insane sports night last night. Um, uh, wanted to ask you about Easter. Did you have any, uh, did you have a nice holiday? Had to, went to a kind of a family reunion of sorts for my wife and kids doing the Easter egg hunting and all that, but, um, nothing, nothing too crazy. What about yourself? Uh, I went up, uh, with Heather and Sasha and Sasha's friend and some other couple to this town called Aviru. It's like Northern Portugal. It was all right. It was, it's kind of random. <laughs> It wasn't bad. I didn't really, not that excited. I'm going away this weekend also to uh, like a resort, little resort place for a few days, which should be chill. And, uh, you know, I joined a gym. I've, I haven't ever really joined a gym oh. in my whole life. The, you know, I used to have a gym when I was in college. I'd go like once every month, maybe at most. The gym was like the library, you know, something that in theory, <laughs> it was something that I could use, but I never did in practice. But basically in in January, I was going to go to the gym because I, I think that uh, saunas are incredibly good for your health. Not only is acute stress good for your health, you know, things like lifting weights or fasting or being in extreme heat for 20 minutes or 30 minutes and sweating, all that stuff is good for you. But also your skin is a serious organ of deto- detoxification and a lot of heavy metals and other uh, toxins go come out through your skin. So it's important to sweat that stuff out. And saunas are very good. Scandinavian countries have saunas. The Chinese do it. The Koreans do it. You know, it's kind of a, the Native Americans did it. Something that human beings have realized is very good for your health for a long time. So there were no saunas except in this one kind of high-end gym that Heather goes to because she's a fanatic about the gym. And so on, on New Year's, I was like, you know, New Year's resolution type of thing in January, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. So the dude's like, well, it's 100 bucks a month plus it's this fee and that. And I was like, eh, if you could do it for 80 a month, and just do it for one month, and I'll see if I actually go, and you know, I'll take it. He's like, oh, we can't do that. So I, I was positive he was going to give in and cave, but he never did. But then he uh, offered 69 bucks a month. First month is free, for, but I had to do it for a year. I, I thought, and, but I could cancel it with a two-month penalty if, at any time. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. So I now belong to a gym, believe it or not. It's embarrassing to go to a gym. I, fe- I feel embarrassed to be there. It's just an embarrassing thing for a grown man to be at you know i've never been a gym guy i'm trying to do some push-ups these days but back in the day my dad would belong to like you know a men's club and i would go i would do the steam room thing and i always felt good you know i mean it was obviously a little a little weird but uh i, I know joe rogan brags about his he owns a, a infrared sauna and i've i've looked into it i think you, it's not like outrageous to get one for your own home really but um yeah i know there are plenty of benefits to that and i let me know how that goes are, are you planning on doing any lifting there yeah, so here's what I do. So uh, the infrared are okay too, but I like the old dry sauna, you know, the, the old school ones, but infrared sure. sort of a, a more modern technology. 
So I go in and like, again, it's embarrassing. It's like I got scolded because I didn't have workout shorts. I just wear regular shorts. And they're like, now you, you should have not scolded, but it's just like, it's just a, a bullshit place. And then, so I bought some shorts and then I didn't have my towel. So the dude gave me a towel and he's like, okay, but next time you got to either rent a towel, you got to rent a towel for 10 euros a month or just bring your own. So now you got to like walk around with a towel. You can't just lift. I'm not like sweating in the machines. Anyway, I go down and for like 10 minutes, I lift like five or six or eight random machines, like push myself kind of hard. Like, I don't know what weights. I'll just go on some machine. They're all like super modern machines that like, you know, does like your chest muscles. And I'll just like do it, whatever the weight is. I'll like put 40 kilos in there and I'll just do like, I don't know, 25 reps until it's really hard for me to do another one. And then I'll do like a bunch of curls for like 25 or 30 reps. And then I'll do like some leg shit, some random stuff. And it's not even the same thing every time. But I just walk around real quick, try to, you know, figure out where no one's at, do whatever machine is open, and like do it pretty hard for 10 minutes. And then when I'm done, I go to the sauna and try to stay half an hour. Nice. Uh, yeah, let me know how that goes. It does not seem like something that you would do, but uh, I mean, obviously, that's some help. A real man does not there, do, so. but trust me, it's super embarrassing. A real man would not do this. And, and, but I will say, like, you know, you build, I've only gone like four or five times so far, and like you start to build some muscles pretty fast. I mean, if you're jacked like myself, obviously, of course, it's uh, yeah, of course, it's, it don't, you know, don't try this at home, but uh, I mean, just 10 minutes of trying, you know, pretty hard while you're there for 10 minutes, you know, I'm trying to do it three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but uh, we keep traveling on Friday. So, you know, whatever. It's good though. The sauna is legit. The sauna is like that. It, it, steam room is different than a sauna. Steam room is also got its benefits and there's one of those there, but the, the sauna I think is the, the more potent uh, detoxifier. Yeah, you get those toxins out. It feels good doing it. I, I would absolutely go in one if I if I had one available. So um, I'm on board with that. Let's, I want to talk about some other sports before we get into baseball stuff you don't care as much about. But man, I live you know fairly close to San Jose. I should have been there last night, even though I don't follow hockey whatsoever. Just come playoff time. But man, the Sharks game last night. Ten minutes left, down 3-0 in a game seven. They get this five-minute major penalty and they score four goals. Insane within the five minutes. Then hold off their own power play up 4-3, give up the tying goal inside a minute left. So talk about momentum going back and forth. Win it in overtime, a game seven, just absolutely crazy. I know you don't follow the NHL as I don't either, but Islanders, uh, man, you know how are the Islanders I, doing? Islanders are still alive. Yeah, I, yeah I, I only thing I, I do I do know is I could tell you that one team, I believe it was the Tampa Bay Lightning, set a record for most wins ever in a season and then proceeded to get swept in the first round of the playoffs, which definitely sounds pretty crazy but fired up for the sharks uh san jose can only name a few players on the team but that was actually really really an exciting game to watch and i actually missed the damian lillard shot live because i was watching uh that that game but man it was a i think the blazers were down eight points with two and a half left and obviously the lillard everyone's seen that just sick from whatever how many feet away and i guess there's been five walk-off series uh buzzer beaters like true buzzer beaters in the series in the history of the nba and Damian Lillard owns two of them now. So that's pretty insane. And obvious. he's becoming one of my favorite non-warriors. I just love going against Westbrook like that, waving goodbye. He just comes off so, so much better. And, and, and that was just, just sick. Have you watched, have you watched any, any NBA playoffs at all, List? No, but I, I did see the clip of that. And I was struck by two things. One, reminds me of Reggie Miller. He's like, this generation's Reggie Miller. And two, that was a terrible shot. I mean, Paul George was up in his face. It was 37 feet away. 
I mean, he, he didn't need a three. He just needed a two. He just needed a foul to get fouled and hit one free throw, actually. It's a tie game. And you jack up this ridiculous three, and it, it goes in. And it shows how crazy good these guys are to be able to shoot from that range with a really good defender on with a hand in his face. But, I mean, come on. That was a, that was a terrible shot. Yeah, there, there have been columns out today suggesting it was not a terrible shot and uh, some gory math involved. And he's been like 36% from that distance this year. But, but that no, was contended. With a dude right contended. in your face like that? Yeah, exactly. Come on. Exactly. And you don't even need three. The, the whole point about the three-point range is that obviously getting that extra point is so valuable. That's why you never take long twos. But this didn't matter. <laughs> Anything going in wins the game if, if you take it when the shot clock is down. So why not drive and dish? I mean, uh, you know, good for him. He hit it. But that was a – if they were down two, okay, the three, you know. Or if they were down three, that would have been the sickest shot ever. But you're like, dude, it was tied. Just, just score. Anyway, it was a good shot. It's uh, – you know, I was talking to Dre about this on the radio yesterday and Waylon today about it that, you know, the, the three-point line came into effect like 30 years ago. And they didn't really – it really changed the game until five years ago where they're like, wait a second – it's actually way smarter to just take this kind of shot and just get rid of all the mid-range stuff. And then it seems like as a result, you have these guys, or maybe, you know, Andre suggested that maybe the fact that the Currys and the Hardens were in the league helped, you know, teams wise up quickly and realize that with, with guys like this, there's just no point in settling for two pointers unless it's a dunk or a super high percentage shot. So you have this whole you're going to have a whole generation of players that just can drain, you know, that's all they're going to practice. You know, they're just going to be long range bombers. And we were joking, like, what if they made a four point shot? You know, that was like another 10 feet back. Like, would you get a, eventually get a generation of kids who could like hit that at 25%, you know, like from four point range. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, Larry Bird never hit a hundred threes in a season. I mean, just think of how much different the, the game has evolved. This is this crazy. They, they, who knows? Maybe they will change it. The, the, the distance, or, four. or they will add you need a four. four. Yeah, yeah. They might. or a five. So yeah. I, I already bought tickets for Game One of the the Rockets coming up. Man, I, I am just, just very, very concerned with Houston. I think that is the NBA Finals. Uh, they definitely have my attention as a Warriors fan. So I'm pretty, pretty fired up for that. No clue even what day it's going to be, but uh, I will be there. Game one, Rockets, Warriors, assuming both teams handle their business tonight. So I'd probably look really foolish if one of them get upset at home before this pot even airs. Uh, but they'd have to lose three straight. So I think they are going to eventually have a game one. Um, yeah, so uh, before we get to baseball, one more. Does NFL draft, do you have any, you have any thoughts on this? I mean, as the Niners pick in second, and this, you know, Murray may not go one now. I think he will. Um, kind of uh, as a Giants fan, I mean, who are they going to take? Daniel Jones at QB number six now? I mean, what, 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 are you, what are your thoughts on the draft? I mean, we all have to talk to NFL draft. Well, I mean, I don't know because I don't really know any of these players. They're just names to me right now. Like, I don't really know who they are. I mean, I heard, I read about them. I hear rumors about them, but I just don't know. And one thing I like about Gettleman, even though he is kind of a clown in a lot of ways, is I, I totally agree that he's not just going to take a player for need. Like, they need a QB, obviously, but don't take a QB at six if there's no QB at six that you want to, you know, basically spend three years of your franchise trying to develop. Like that, I just think that's a huge mistake. So I don't know if Haskins is good enough. I don't know if Kyler Murray's good enough if the if the Cardinals pass on him. I don't know if Daniel Jones, it sounds like everyone's saying it's a reach, but people don't know. You know, quarterback isn't you're not gonna be able to look from a distance and say whether the quarterback's gonna be good. My my belief on QB is you need one of two things. 
You need either to be minimum Matt Ryan level pocket passer, which is pretty good, or you need to be Cam Newton or, you know, I mean, Russell Wilson's kind of got both, but like Cam Newton or uh, one of those, you know, really good scrambling QBs. If you don't have the scramble piece, then you got to be a really, really good pocket passer to be worth committing to. You, you don't want Andy Dalton. You don't want to commit to Andy Dalton. You don't want to commit to even Matthew Stafford. I mean, maybe Stafford would be sort of, the, you know, you could lower the baseline from Ryan a little bit more to Stafford. But you, you don't really want to have a, a statue unless the guy is just a, a wizard in there. Yeah, unless he's Jimmy G. I hear you. Seems like uh, Josh Jacobs is like the first and oh, will be the first running back and the only running back taken in the first round. And he doesn't seem exciting whatsoever. That seems like a mistake. Whoever pulls the trigger there, it'll almost certainly be the Raiders. And uh, that DK Metcalf is some of the craziest workout metrics I've seen. He's 40 yard dash, 99th percentile, speed score, 99th percentile, burst score, 97th, and his catch radius in the 90th too. But his agility score is the fourth percentile. So if you look at that on the bars, it's something like I've never seen. So See how that translates. Uh, just a couple thoughts. I, I, I'm sure I, I, I said that in jest. We have to talk NFL draft, but the rest of the sports world really is. Uh, but uh, taking with the NFL real quickly, what are the Chiefs? I, I thought it was a little bit curious to trade a first and second rounder, then hand out a $105 million contract to someone with like domestic abuse in his past. I mean, if the Chiefs of all teams, Frank Clark, oh, beat the beat the shit out of some girl in a hotel room a couple years ago. I, I don't know, man. That just seems weird to me i guess tyreek hill was not charged officially right before we started recording this but he could still have a lengthy suspension but man i mean they gave they, they essentially traded d ford and gave a huge contract for a guy with that pass that just seemed odd to me for a franchise uh i don't know i guess they don't know the definition of insanity but any thoughts on that list i did think of that they were they just got rid of kareem hunt right in the middle of a playoff chase they were the one seed they just cut like their yeah. best running back and and who knows, that overtime game in New England was pretty close. Like, one play here or there might have made a difference. And they just kicked him the curb, like, without a second thought. And then they signed another guy. It's, it is bizarre. And then why, you're right, once you're, put, once you're paying full market value for the guy, it's kind of, why would you trade so much for him? That doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, it's sort of like saying, if we're in a keeper league, and I've got, like, a $3 Mike Trout, you're going to, you know, sell the farm to get him. But if I've got like a, you know, whatever the $70 Mike Trout or $60 Mike Trout, whatever the going rate would be, well, you might want to trade for Mike Trout because you can use him this year, but you're not going to trade that much for him because you you'll have the $70 to spend elsewhere if you don't get him. He's using up all the money allotted to someone of his skill level. The, you know, I don't really understand that at all. I, I get like maybe you thought like he's just the one missing piece that will put you over the top because everybody else is so good. I, I guess I could see it, but man, that's a lot to give up and then sign him to that deal. That, that doesn't make any sense. And it's also why I wasn't as upset with the Giants trading Beckham because Beckham got paid. Beckham was getting paid right. to, you know, the full level of his skills or, you know, maybe 90% of them because I think Beckham's like the greatest receiver of all time. If you were to like put him with Joe Montana or somebody in a good environment, I mean, it would have been ridiculous. But, you know, so they're, they're paying Beckham like, you know, a top three receiver salary and they got a first rounder and a third rounder and a safety. And now I'm seeing like Mario Puig was saying that Jabril Preppers actually sucks. But regardless, it, you know, they, it was like they got the picks and they, I mean, they got the picks and they gave up their guy after he was paid. It's not like they, you know, gave him up in his second year where there were like three years of having him on the cheap. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I know the Chiefs are making a defensive overhaul. 
and switching schemes. And Frank Clark is good at football, but that just seemed very, very curious. He's also only 25 and he's been pretty durable and it's, you know, they, they probably think they have him for, Sign him to a five-year deal. They probably think they're going to get at least three or four good years out of him. So it's, I understand it. It's just you're right. A, could he really be worth a first, a second, and all the money? That's just crazy. And normally I don't like to talk about that off-field stuff, but I mean, this if any team should be you know extra cautious with with the players' past history, it would certainly seem to be Kansas City, and they are anything but. They're going all in. Actually, I mean, I don't know. They're just they're lo- they're loading up on him, but. Let's talk some baseball lists. Uh, you can make fun of me here. I was the uh, the the. I bid four twenty on Cole Tucker. I'm, I'm high on him. Uh, I was the high bidder in the main event. Uh, yeah. On him, I needed speed very much. So don't love that he's already batting eighth. Uh, read some stuff I, on you know prospect guys that know more than me showed up a little bit bulkier this year. Like maybe some power. I really really need speed, and that's the. That's the key here. I, I felt like stolen bases are even harder than saves entering the free agent pool. And a guy had 47 two years ago, 35 last year, already had five this year. Seemingly going to, you know, he has the job there. The guy's replacing Eric Gonzalez, you know, 60-day DL. He's their, one of their best prospects, good defensive player. So it ended up being higher than I needed to. I think the highest next one in my league was like 286. Like I said, the highest literally in the whole main event, uh, 420. But um, that's probably... Probably a mistake. In our league, I got him at 80, and the next highest was 79, and that was just, I'm running out of money in that one. Funny, in our league, my, my hitting has just been a disaster, and I spent all my, all my you know, capital on them. So, what are you, do you have any interesting bids? I know you probably want to talk about Jose Ramirez. I heard you talk about him on the show, and then he went out and, and, and went deep today. So, do you have any baseball thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it was, I'm going to pat myself on the back for saying Jose Ramirez, a first round pick wasn't going to stay being one of the worst hitters in baseball all year. And he hit a home run and a steal. That was nice to see. Um, yeah, I, I think he should be pretty much fine. Obviously you can't undo the stats that he's gotten for you. The league that we're in, I'm, I'm doing so badly in my NFBC leagues. I'm in last in both 15 teamers. I'm in 10th in one of the 12 team beat Chris Lisses. And unfortunately for you and the one that we bet on, I'm in sixth and you're in 10th. The other one, I mean, I wouldn't say being in sixth is good. It's basically dead center, <laughs> dead average. But it's the only one that has a pulse, and uh, it's the one that we bet on. You're in tenth, but it is early, and I just think, you know, you, you look at Jose Ramirez. A good week could turn his season around, and I've got a lot of Chris Bryant and Jose Ramirez and Yasiel Puig who hit a home run last night. It's starting to warm up. I'm I'm a little pissed because I drafted uh, Rymel Tapia in, in both the 15s, yeah. and I dropped him in both and. Now he looks like he's going to be really valuable. You know, a lot of times this happens in football even more, but the idea that like, okay, well, I'm going to draft Tapia. What a good prospect, you know, what a good like stash for cores. It's not a good draft pick if you can't hold him long enough to use him. You know, and yeah. after the first week where he wasn't really being used at all, and then even Dahl got hurt and he still wasn't really being used regularly, it was sort of like, okay, they just don't like this guy. And maybe they still won't and Desmond will come back and get regular time, but Man, you know, that's, that, that hurts. I, ha- I hate the drops that, of players that were good. I also, I drafted Tukey Toussaint in the 20th round. Then I dropped him when he got sent down. Then I saw him get seven strikeouts in like three, you know, three innings of relief. So then I picked him up for 10% of my budget. Then I put him in my lineup and he gave up seven runs in an inning. Then I dropped him for Lucas Giolito, who I had already, who, who I'd, I dropped Giolito for Toussaint the week before. That was who I dropped, and then I dropped Toussaint for Giolito, and I'm pretty sure that I will 
probably see Giolito get shelled the next time I put him in my lineup and probably drop him back for Toussaint when he gets called up again. Yeah, I just added Tapia in the Yahoo Friends and Family League. You're no longer in this morning. Um, who knows? Maybe he's nothing more than a fourth outfielder. Very smallish kind of guy. But he has some speed. Uh, certainly playing well lately. Ian Desmond is just so bad. And obviously, the course field factor. I have Vladimir Guerrero stashed in multiple leagues. So that, that will be nice whenever he eventually gets called, which is obviously going to be imminent. Um, and I noticed this is a guy I did not target. But for some reason, in like three leagues, I have Jose Aguilar. Like, And I've just been... So stubborn with guys like that, just leaving in my lineup, but clearly I can't anymore. What a disaster. I mean, add Eric Thames if he's somehow still available in your lineup. I, I mean, your league. I, I like that guy. And obviously, the fits kind of platoon. You want the lefty. And Aguilar was really bad the second half last year and kind of came out of nowhere at that stage of his career. So that was just a terrible, terrible pick in hindsight. Yeah, I was, he was a fade for me. One of the few things I've gotten right this year is, is not drafting him. And I do have Eric Thames in my life, not just in my leagues, Dalton. So just so you know, but keep it, you know, keep it on the down yeah, low. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, all my justifications for all this, all this stuff is all just bullshit anyway, right? Oh, well, I like him because, you know, he hit well before the juiced ball or this guy did this because of that. And all the shit you say to make your case for a player you like, it doesn't mean anything once the season starts. You know, the season started... Who the hell knows? I, I honestly, like with the pitchers, last week I vehemently argued with you that that my strategy was actually ideal because you know pitching was very hard to to figure out, and so the aces were super key. And then you you know then then I'll be part of the free for all that you're part of, but at least I have like these stable aces to you know lock down sort of a base of stats. And that might still be true, but at the same time, it's like the best pitchers now are like. Tyler Glass now, Luis Castillo. It's like totally random. Yeah. And if it's totally yeah. random, then you wanted to do what you did and get hitting. Because the, the only reason to pay for a commodity is if it's, if they're, you know, not just that it's valuable. Obviously, pitching's just as valuable as hitting in these leagues, but that it's predictable. Like if it's not predictable, it doesn't matter how valuable it is. There's no point in investing it. You may as well just try to get lucky, which is sort of what you did. So, so I'm sort of getting more at a loss when Scherzer's getting shelled by the Marlins. Then you wonder, you know, is there anybody worth paying for? And it could just turn on a dime. You know, next week, you know, whoever's doing well could get shelled. And in that case, you just really do want a free-for-all and just gamble on a whole bunch of random pitchers. Yeah, I mean, DeGrom, you know, there's a scare there. Snell it banged up. Carrasco banged up. Chris Sales, velocity's down last start. Scherzer has the highest Babbitt allowed in, in baseball, obviously. Hopefully that's just a luck thing, but I don't know. It does seem like those top starting pitchers are – Kind of going exactly where I feared they were. But then again, Zach Wheeler look, obviously looks really strong. And you named guys like Luis Castillo. So I don't know what to make of it all, but it does seem to me like starting pitchers, I'm certainly not regretting avoiding them through one month of the season. I'll tell you that much of this. Yeah, I mean, it would have been better if you didn't take such horrible hitters with all your yeah, premium yeah, picks. Yeah. But the strategy might have been right. I still think it's going to wind up that the best pitchers are going to be the most reliable and there'll be sort of a smattering of random guys doing well. Uh, it's interesting, like, you know, James Paxton has been really good the last two starts, but he always gets hurt. And it's just weird. So I, I guess I got to see another month or two of data, but it is a just a very weird year. And I've talked myself into even more finding those middle relievers and not messing around with low-end starters. Like, I just, I feel like whatever it is, if you find a Matt Boyd or you got Castillo or you got guys that in the middle rounds that are doing well or the, or the later rounds great but do not mess around with 
Eric Swanson, you know, let's, let's use him for the week. Like it, it, that, that kind of stuff is just disastrous. And I'm going to get as many, I'm going to get as many Zach Britons and whoever that, that I can and just, and just see whether I can get an, as many strikeouts almost as the guy who's getting a crap starter, who's getting shell out of the game by the fourth inning and, uh, you know, with, with my reliever and, and hopefully you have three or four middle relievers and you can use teams that have a seven game week and you know, you're probably going to get three or four games out of them. And you probably will come close to getting as many strikeouts as a bad one start starter. That's interesting um, because our, our strategies basically could not be more different. I, I don't have one middle reliever on any of my teams. I typically have 12 to 14 starting pitchers, and I'm just playing the matchups. I was actually very upset that I missed out on Eric Swanson in my main event team. Malik Smith totally gave away a homer to Hedges. That's, that was BS run there. But uh, he, I don't know if you saw it, but he literally knocked a fly ball over for a homer in that start. But you might very well be right. Obviously, the ball is juiced again, and these mediocre starters are, could could you destroy your – ERA, but I just really think that playing matchups uh, matters. Matters more so there. That's why I like the volume. But, but so you, matchups so you don't help you. Reliever. The matchups only, I mean, Scherzer and DeGrom got shelled by the Marlins. I mean, there, there's no matchup that's safe. Look how many home runs, you know, Renato Nunez has and Dwight Smith has and the all the Orioles have. Look, look how many home runs, you know, Hunter Dozier has and Alex Gordon has. I mean, you can't just go into those things and say, okay. Yeah, no problem. It's the Orioles. The Orioles can't hurt you. Yeah, it's going to be fine. Yeah, I'm not saying it's perfect, and you, you're just pointing out you know, specific examples, but I will say with this strategy, you know, I typically have like 75% of my starts I'm making are, are home starts, so I, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I don't think there's a perfect resolution to this, but uh, that's been my strategy, and it's quite clearly very different than yours. So you're, you're starting middle relievers in, in your NFC teams. Yeah, well, the 12 is harder, but the 15, I'm going to do more and more of that, yeah. Like so, right. my my point is you're you're gonna have twenty pitchers or fifteen pitchers that you never take out, and they're gonna have another fifteen to twenty, you know, if you were to rank them, that are in it, you know, pretty much in except in really terrible matchups. And then there's like thirty more that are usable, but only in good matchups. And so basically, you're not gonna have enough pitchers to cover if the if the criteria is that strict, you're just not gonna have enough starting pitching to fill all the slots. So when you don't meet the criteria, you use one of your middle relievers rather than one of your starters, or rather than picking up a streamer. That's sort of the idea. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes because we're definitely going different paths there. It might not matter either way because both are all of our offenses suck, or at least mine does. I'm not speak for you. No, mine's, I, mine's been I pretty bad too. I apparently did the world's worst job of drafting hitters that you couldn't even. I mean, you couldn't even. You couldn't try harder and, and pick more more scrubs of the the Ryan Bronze uh, of the world, of, of Kyle Schwarber. Just name any guys that's off to horrific starts, and I pretty much own shares of them, Posey, well, whatever. Well, the other problem with your um, strategy is that there's so much free loot for the hitters. There's hitters just coming out of the woodwork. You mentioned Thames, but I mentioned Renato Nunez, Alex Gordon, Jason Hayward. There's all sorts of guys that are just free. I mean, it's like, yeah, you spend a lot on Cole Tucker because he can run, but... Maybe steals are harder to come by because no one wants to run anymore because why would you run if the next guy's going to hit a home run anyway? Why would you risk an out? doesn't matter what base you're on. Yeah, it's just guys coming out of like the woodwork. First time that teams are averaging fewer than one steal per game since like the early 70s or something. Yeah. But like everybody is hitting. I mean, anybody, you, anybody that comes up is all of a sudden like, oh, we should check if this guy's good. A guy can hit a home run one game. I'm going to pick him up if he, if he has a chance to stick in the lineup because – it's easy to hit a home run now. All you got to do is hit a fly ball. 
Yeah. I, I do. Believe me. I, I hear you. Uh, I don't know. Are, are you, are you reaching the point of frustration? He's still in the, let's say, uh, say calm mode. I mean, the league we're in together, I have a 16 in, in offense and I didn't draft a starting pitcher until, you know, round 14. I, <laughs> That's yeah, really, I have here. I mean, Gary Sanchez, Yadier Molina, Freddie Freeman, Carlos Correa, Justin Turner, McCutcheon, Mike Trout, wow. uh, Nelson Cruz. I mean, these are, I mean, it's uh, Odor, Dickerson. I mean, Starling Marte, Travis Shaw. I mean, it's just kind of humorous, really. I mean, it's kind of funny. If it, it, funny. If it wasn't, I mean, so, if it wasn't, uh, you know, if I wasn't laughing, Liz, I'd be crying. Yeah, that, that's sort of how I feel, but uh, that, that is funny that you, that you spent, you had like a budget for hitting. Let's say it was a $260 budget. You spent like 230 of it on hitting. And the average team spent like 160, and you're being <laughs> your 260 got you less. It's it's crazy. It is really crazy. But I my hitting has been terrible. Like my main event, first pick Jose Ramirez, second pick Garrett Cole, who got destroyed this week, third pick Chris Bryant, who's been terrible, fourth pick Yasiel Puig, who's been terrible, though he finally hit a home run. Fifth pick was uh, Glaber Torres, who has been okay. He got a, he got cheated out of a home run when it was called fan interference. It really pissed me off. It was a home run. Yeah. Six pick was Corey Seager, who's been eh, he's okay, nothing special. Seventh pick was Turner. Eighth pick was Joey Gallo, who's the only good player on my team. Ninth pick was Severino. Tenth pick was Malik Smith, who sucks stealing some bases. Sucks. But like, I have him. Ton of him too. Ton of him too. He's so horrible. I mean, it's Gallo's like, those guys. This year, I'm a, Gallo's gonna hit three hundred this year. I'm gonna murder someone. It's so frustrating. Well, I got Gallo in a couple. So, Those are the only good picks I made. But so, so that's it. And then you know, I got Avoidus, uh, Avoidus Viscaino um, in <laughs> yeah. two leagues. That was bad. The Braves didn't say anything about his shoulder. David Robertson was my other closer in the main event. And then I got I got Alex Colome. It's the only one standing. But I did go big on Ryan Brazier. So that was one thing that I did right. But you know, I mean, you got to hit. Your team's got to hit. You know, you need the hitting and just hasn't happened yet and i don't have anybody really outperforming i think it's not just that my stars aren't hitting because i think other teams are getting by with that it's that lots of teams picked up the hunter dozers and renato nunez's and all those guys and they're getting production you know it's like jock peterson all these dudes it's not just the clay bellingers and, and christian yelich's it's having you know four or five home runs a night half of which are coming from random people and I'm getting yeah, Jay Bruce or whatever. Jay all Bruce, those guys. Had, yeah. yeah. Dan yeah. Vogelback. I mean, yeah. like, I'm just not getting that either is the problem. And so I'm not, I didn't do well in the low end and my high end guys are starting slow. Okay. The high end guys are going to pick up, but you just can't, it's not enough to carry you these days. You need, you need like everybody doing it at this point. Totally. All right, man, I'm done with baseball for now. You ready for some random stuff? Sure. Sure. All right. So game of Thrones episode two, your thoughts. Even worse than episode one. I mean, embarrassingly bad. Heather was getting annoyed and saying, you know, why are you even watching it? If you're just going to complain, just stop watching. And I talked about the XM show, and some guy's like, I agree with Heather, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, I, I understand that. But first off, I'm, I'm so far in, and I feel like I just, it's like you don't want to leave the movie halfway through, you know, three quarters of the way through, just, even though it's terrible, you're just going to see how it ends. Secondly, there, I take a little bit of perverse pleasure in how bad it is now. Like, it's almost, it mostly, I hate it, but there's a tiny part of me that's like, look how terrible it is. It's like, it's like making me like, it's like a cringe scene in a movie that you, you're cringing, but you kind of enjoy the cringe. The thing that's really, I mean, I'll tell you a couple scenes, like Brienne is being knighted by, what's his name? And it's this emotional scene. It's like, dude, Amy. what the yeah. fuck? That was so stupid. 
Oh, so it's the last day that this, this ceremony is important. Title is important. Status is important now. That's the message. And she's like, we like, she's like a warrior. The, the whole thing about it is like how much dignity and whatever these people have. And now the message is let's have a sentimental music playing while, and, and tears shed while she becomes a knight. Like she gets like the status symbol or something like that. Like how fucking stupid is that? That's so out of keeping with the six seasons where you have this kind of hard boiled show that's all about real life, the, the dark age that they're in. It's, it's not this ceremonial bullshit. I, I was really bad. And then just all the bantery bullshit between like the hound. The giant's and, milk. The giant's milk yeah, story. I, what I about was the only thing I, I'm down with the giant's milk. I would buy some of that okay. at the store, actually. <laughs> that was the okay. only thing I. It was dumb, though, right? Like, it makes that yeah. guy just seem like a. I mean, it's it it, it just like it just like cheap Hollywood bullshit. It's like when when a movie opens in Hollywood, like at the start of a movie, they do these they have these techniques for establishing that the character is a nice guy. So you'll see a guy coming home, he's depressed, it's dark out, and there'll be sort of a stray alley cat, and he'll put out some food for the cat, and that'll be like that'll be their quick device of saying, "Oh, he's a nice guy." Like it it just shows you who he is without like have you know that that's like they just do stuff like that to like win sympathy from the audience. And I feel like this whole thing is just up such a one unending pander. It's like they're pandering to this. You know what the dumbest character is? That 12-year-old girl. Okay, enough. Like last year, they, they had her like stand up and be willing to fight. And for some reason, she's their leader. I mean, a 12-year-old is your leader. You know? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. But okay, it is what it is. But then like they have to add yet another scene where she's telling Jorah, no, I'm not going to go into the you know catacombs and hide. I want to fight. It's like... Pander, 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 pander. Why was that scene necessary? Like, why was? Did that... you not like the call? Did you not like what? the callback of the th- the things we do for love? Did you not like that callback? No. What was? What do you mean the things we do for love? The callback. Well, that, that, yeah. To, you know, Brand says that to Jamie. That's literally what Jamie said when he pushed him out of the window in the first uh, first yes. episode. But um, I, I thought it was, that, that was fine. That was okay. I mean, it's it's not really. The show's never been about like the witty banter. That's really not what it's about. It's a hard-boiled, dark show. And then maybe once every four episodes, the Hound would say something super deadpan that was like really dark. And then you'd be like, that was a great line. But now it's just like, oh, now they're all bantering with each other. They're all like reuniting. They're all shaking hands and giving each other crap and acting like, you know, it's a big reunion for everybody before the battle. It's funny, Stephen King went out of his way to say, this may look easy to, to bring all these characters together like this, but I assure you it's not. But I see other people with similar complaints, and all yours are, it's fair. I get a little bit more annoyed when people call it boring, because I'm very different in that aspect. I'll be the one who will be bored during next week's episode when it's 90 minutes of war, uh, the action. That stuff interests me less. But I get it. They are pandering to the audience. I was going to say it before I even use that specific term. I guess I'm a little bit more of a sucker for it than you, and I'm, I'm more okay with it. But um, I, I, those are all fair, it, 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 fair criticism. But I do think at this point you're falling for the – what could satisfy you at, at this point? I mean, was this, I don't know. Do you think this show's dialogue was always was great? I mean, I don't know. I think no, it's I mean, super the, the show used to be the hound stealing gold from this family that took them in. And Arya saying, why would you do that? That's all their money. And he said, someone's going to take it if I don't. And then a while later, they show them having committed suicide while they're starving to death. You know, like that was Game of Thrones. They showed people's family members watching 
as like another family member was being tortured by having a rat lit on fire in the bag and chewing through them. That was Game of Thrones. You know, it was not sentimental. It was hardcore. It was like the hardest core of the hardcore. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. If you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle, look no further. U.S. Bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding, no matter what you're into. Feeling hungry? Check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. And get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers. And you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter. Earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card, get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cash back, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. And, you know, you, you'd be rooting for Ned Stark throughout the whole thing, and then, boom, his head gets chopped off. The Red Wedding was like a... It was shocking. And it wasn't sentimental at all. There was no heroic thing in the Red Wedding. Were there heroes? Were there people heroically trying to save people? Not really. The only thing they did yeah. was, what's her name? The mother, the Stark wife, slit one woman's throat in like a futile act of revenge before she died, right? Didn't she do that? Killed one, one of them? But like, yeah. there was no orchestral music sentimentality crap at all. You know? And that's why it was good, because it wasn't pandering. And that's why it got popular, because it was good. And now that it's popular, some fucking idiot who's obviously you know in charge of a lot of the show is like all right here's what we need here are the notes we need to hit and the writers are just doing their bidding and why do writers in hollywood say oh you know why do they make i've talked to us on the radio faster than furious eight why do they make eight versions of that shit because they have nothing left they have no no idea what to do so what they do is they option these books that are good books written by creative people and they get ideas to make movies with well, the guy who was the creative force behind the books is no longer writing this. It's not even adapted from his work. So it's a bunch of hacks, and this is the result. And so what would satisfy me, I mean, it's, it's not my job to tell them what to write, right? I'm, I'm not the writer of this. It would just be stay true to the, to the tone and themes of the show. And they're not. They're turning into some Hollywood schlock. Most shows go south when they get big because they start to pander, or because they lose focus or whatever, but you know, Breaking Bad ended. It ended the way it started. Good. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't get caught up in how big it was. And you know, some of the shows, the, the Americans, I thought ended pretty well. Some shows can pull it off. This show is not even trying to pull it off. It's trying to do the opposite. It's dumbed down version for the for the vast audience that it has. Well, I'd like to revisit this uh, next week. I guess next week's episode, they spent months filming, and uh, it's going to be certainly epic, the uh, the battle scenes and whatnot. I got my prediction. Is, I'm kind of buying into the fan theory that the Night King is is not going there. He's going to end up in King's Landing. But uh, but we'll see, and I, I, that's why I brought it up, because I, I figured you'd have a strong take and um, well, I'll say this. shitting on Game of Thrones. It's, go ahead. Yeah, you'll I'll, say what. I'll say, I, I think Jamie Lannister and, like, Reek, all the – my guess, I, mean, I could be wrong about this, but is that all the characters that did bad things that came back for redemption are going to die. Like that, Those are going to be the first ones. All the ones like 
who did very, very bad things, and they're now like trying to make amends. They're going to die, and it's going to be super heroic, and they're going to save some other important character, and there'll be a lot of orchestral music. That's my prediction. All right. Next thing I want to bring up, I am DVRing Jeopardy every night these days. I don't know if you've been following along, but have you, have you heard about this professional sports gambler who's just dominating? Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Alex Trebek having cancer. Um, I, uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I haven't. Well, what's the, what's the deal with yeah. that? Yeah. He's a professional sports gambler. Um, that is, that does suck about Trebek for sure. But you know, what's, uh, what's nice is that, uh, he's never going to, they're going to be higher ratings in Jeopardy than right now because of this guy. Not only has he set the, uh, the highest single game record, uh, with ease, but he made it a specific amount. It was like his daughter's birthday, but this guy is averaging on a night more than the previous single high game record. I mean, he's just, he's going to beat Ken Jennings' total in half the amount of days. It's it's absolutely insane. He starts from the, the highest to the bottom, and he searches for the daily doubles, and he goes big on every daily double. It's it's remarkable, and it's super entertaining. And I, I, I would DVR Jeopardy these days. He's, he's a professional sports gambler, got this really awkward smile, but just killing it. It's, it's really impressive. Again, averaging more, averaging than the previous single game record in Jeopardy. Yeah, they should bring out like Ken Jennings, you know, and like get, let him be one of the contestants. Yeah, he, he, I'm sure that will lead to that, but even he said that, you know, it's unfair. 15 years ago, Ken Jennings is not the same as he is now, he said. Right. Like an athlete, you know, that's right. totally true. I took an IQ test, dated a girl who was a psychiatrist. I took an IQ test way back today, and I, they actually grade those on scales, and, and your age 20 to 24 is supposedly your peak. Your, your mental uh, acuity is the highest there, so... So yeah, he said basically he's saying no, I wouldn't have a chance. But they def- definitely played differently, um, and I probably will eventually have some tournament of champions. But this guy may never lose. But it's pretty, uh, it's it's really it's, it's pretty interesting. Next, now, is jo- he's a professional gambler? Like, what do you mean? What kind of gambler? Like sports betting or sports? Yes, lives in Las Vegas and sports betting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, I went to uh, San Francisco uh, over the weekend. Cobb's Comedy Club. So I'm a Adam Carolla. One of my favorite comedians, but I wanted to mostly talk about Angler. I found this restaurant supposedly uh, was rated the best new restaurant in America. Obviously, some hyperbole with, uh, with sure a lot have that claim, but dude, it was it was awesome. And I'm gonna probably break out Instagram for the first time just to to, to shoot some uh, to, to put up some some food pics. Don't use Instagram. That's a, Don't no, use Instagram. Oh, I, I know I, I'm not supposed to use Facebook, so Instagram neither, huh? No, it's owned by Facebook. Just don't use the Facebook yeah. products. Just put it on Twitter. That whole that whole company is so evil. I just don't do it. Yeah, I saw there's another long a long article that I have a uh, bookmarks that I want to read up on on Facebook. But antelope tartare was one of the best, uh, nice. one of the best hors d'oeuvres I've ever had. And then this waiter talked talked me and my buddy into radicchio salad, um, which is served with a steak knife and bibs because it was it looked like a bloody mess. It's hard to explain. That's why the picture here will do 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 more justice. And then there was a. $160 ribeye my buddy got. The, I love the fact that they didn't even ask you how to prepare it. He's like, you know, they didn't even ask. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're not going to bring it back medium well. They don't even give you that option. Um, and that was that was awesome. My crab, they had the, they cut out the whole shell. They put the butter in the, the, the main, the body. Crazy good dessert. But uh, yeah, Ant, Ant, Angler, it's called, in San Francisco. One of the better meals I've had um, in recent memory. And now I want to get to the, the list stuff more so. Like, I, I see you on, on Twitter, you kind of brought up more of a general topic about your inability to have candid conversations about politics these days. And I saw a little talk about who's this guy, Mike Gravel, um, another one. And, uh, and I want to ask you about that and then, and then end it with the Kim Jong-un and Putin meeting tomorrow. Do you have any thoughts on, on that stuff? 
Uh, I don't really know about Putin and Kim Jong-il because I saw that, but I don't know what that means or what, what that even could could do. But Jong-il, but not, yeah. not ill. Yeah, Kim Jong-un, but I, I don't know what that, I don't know what the meaning of that. So the candid conversations, you're struggling. Like, I feel like this podcast, it's really interesting, this podcast, because it's, you know, people can listen or not, but when you're, we're actually with people, I feel like a lot of people that I'm with, they, they kind of have a religion and it's, it's sort of like if we were 500 years ago and they, you know, people believed in God and the Pope and everything, you know, was a certain way and, if you were like, well, actually, I actually don't believe that, it wouldn't just be like, oh, okay, well, he's an atheist or he doesn't believe that. It would be like, you might get strung up. You know what I mean? Like, you're not just not allowed to not believe that. I'm not sure exactly if, if that would have happened 600 years ago, but, you know, in, in the ages where sort of, relig- you know, the, the priesthood was like, they were sort of the messengers of God and you had to do what they said, it wasn't really an option to be a heretic and not believe it. And... You know, apparently Socrates was poisoned because he kept having these dialogues with people that he was trying to open their eyes to things, and they did not like that. And then, you know, in the you know the Middle Ages, all this stuff too. And then we're in the Enlightenment, and now people can have different religions, and nobody really. Everyone's sort of like, "Wow, it's crazy that you couldn't just not agree with believe in God back in the day, and or you know have a different take on something, and it was so heretical." But I feel like I used to look back and be like, "God, those people were so ignorant. I can't believe." It was like that back then. Like, why? Who cares what anyone else thinks? But I feel today like politics and scientism, not science, but scientism, the belief that whatever authority figures who believe in a certain type of science think is absolutely 100% true. I think there's, there's a bunch of beliefs that they're, they're as though they're religious. Political beliefs are like that now, and the, the tribalism is so strong that they assume you're one of them. You know, oh, you know... You, your daughter goes to this school, you, you know, you're in the circles with us, you must believe all the things we believe. Like, it's the, it's the religion, right? And if you even scratch the surface of some of the disagreements, or I don't really believe, you know, about health like that. I don't think grains are good for you. I think meat's much better for you. And I think the whole Lancet study about how people need to eat more grains and stuff is, is actually being funded by, I mean, it, it is being funded by Nestle and these corporations that may products that are not from, you know, they're artificial products that they can make huge profits on, you know, people get mad. They don't like it. They don't, they're like, what do you mean that Lancet study's false? That's what, you know, that's what's healthy for the planet. And, and that's just the most benign example. But I just feel like it's, it's almost like there's these religions. And I've just, the, the last 10 years, 20 years, I've always been skeptical, but the last 10 or 20 years, my eyes have opened up so much to like how much bullshit is out there. I mean, that most of what we believe about what the government's doing, about what the president's doing, about what the Congress is doing, about what the financial system is doing, about you know what Amazon or Facebook or any of these corporations that we just took for granted is like, oh yeah, those are just the big companies that you know obviously they make money and what it. We've been lied to so much. It's such. It's so false. What's happened? And I I feel like I, I can't even go there because it's. It's people are so wrapped up in all their identities and all of their beliefs that it's like going to cause a big fight. Like you're a heretic. You're saying something against God. You're saying something against the order. And I, I told him, I talked to my friend about it, a good friend of mine, and he's just like, "Yeah, man, I just keep my mouth shut these days." Which is horrible, but it's I, I can understand why. I mean, I do the same, and I'm I'm around a lot of people in my area that definitely differ for me politically for sure. So 
just the general uh, my community. So I, I and that's that is the the easiest way out is just to not bring it up because who wants who wants the, the argument? You know, I mean, but, but it's kind. But of, then, that, but you can't be friends. You can only be friends with somebody on a surface level because you yeah. can't talk about real shit. Right? You can only be friends with them. Oh, you play basketball with them, play tennis or something. That's fine. That's fun. But you can't really, it, it, if you have a bunch of drinks and you start talking real stuff, you, it's going to be a problem. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I can't be friends with you. I can be, you know, friendly with you, but I can't be friends with you because we can't have a serious conversation. It's not possible. It'd be like in the 1600s, I, you know, I just don't believe in God. Sorry. I don't believe what you believe. And nowadays, that's not a problem, obviously, but it's, it's a different thing. But it's sort of like if somebody doesn't believe in that. And by the way, I'm actually, I'd be way more comfortable with somebody who was just religious and believed in God. That, to me, that's not even a problem because these days people don't, they don't care. But, but my, my main point is that, you know, for all the sort of talk about tolerance, and, it, and there are many things that are more, much more tolerated now than, say, 20 years ago or certainly 100 years ago, there's a huge intolerance in different areas. And, and I feel like there, it's, there's just sort of not um, a diversity of opinion and a diversity of belief that, that's possible. And I, I've, it's a huge loss. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there that, that actually are open-minded, but it's kind of you got to feel them out because you don't know who's in the cult and who's going to report you and who's wow. not. So I always feel like, okay, uh, this is a cult person. I can deal with them on a certain level, you know, just basic stuff. But, but beyond that, like, I, I can't unwash their brain, and there's no reasoning or arguing that's going to um, be able to persuade them. I hear you, and it seems to only be growing that, that way. It seems to only be but when I worse. say this stuff, I don't know the answer. When I say this stuff, people who hear it or when I post on Twitter, they think, yeah. So some Democratic-leading person will be like, yeah, the Republicans, you can't talk to them. And some Republican-leading person will be like, yeah, <laughs> the Democrats, you can't talk to them. Point, but I'm not really talking about that, actually. It's not really about that. It's, it, it's, I, there's, there's plenty of people who support Trump, and I don't support Trump, that I can have a perfectly civil conversation with. And there's plenty of people who don't support Trump, um, but who you can, I can also have a good conversation with about our disagreements about certain things. But that's not the problem. The problem is, I feel like, certain beliefs are such sacred cows it's like religious edicts and i you know i just gave you that one about like you know the that oh eating meat's gonna ruin the planet or whatever and and i just i feel like there's so many topics you just can't get into because those topics are part of like their identity it's like i'm a, a pescatarian who is for this kind of system who believes in these things and absolutely hates trump and five other things that they believe. And like, if you touch on those things, it's a fight because it's not just what they think, which is fine. I mean, why should you like Trump? I mean, I don't, I don't like the guy, but it's sort of like, it's part of their identity. You know, it's not my identity to dislike Trump. And if he does something good, like if he were able to make, it seems like it failed peace with North Korea, I would be glad about that. Right. And I'm glad the Mueller report came out showing that he is not a Putin asset. I'm glad that yeah. that came out, although people still insist. I don't know what they, it's yeah. like. It, it's like the report said the opposite for some people, but that doesn't matter. I don't care about that. I, I, I'm not, it's not part of my identity to hate him. I just don't like a lot of his policies. I think some of the stuff is terrible, like vetoing the Congress said, you know, let's stop giving money for the war in Yemen, and he vetoed that. I think that's terrible. 
but it's it's not my part of my identity to hate him. I hate him based on like policies, you know. And I, I wouldn't even say hate. I hate him as much as I hate the other presidents based on their shitty, aggressive, warmongering policies. Not because it's who I am. And and I think like all of this stuff is caught up in people's identities. And so if you criticize something or say I don't agree with that, that's just not true. It's like World War III, and it gets really personal because they think you're attacking their identity. Yeah, I absolutely do not think one side is more at fault. And the reason that I – one of my favorite things about your takes on politics is just your open-mindedness. And I just can't stand the, this my team versus yours mentality we have right now in society. So, yeah, why, yeah exactly. Why are people upset about the Mueller report? I, I, you just I forget the whole wasted two and a half years of resources and all that, but – Oh, we wanted it to be that? That's what you wanted to be that was nefarious? Oh, I just desperately. Don't they desperately yeah. wanted I mean, to. It is just, yeah, that is bizarre and backward thinking. Literally, it's backward. It's annoying. Yeah, very got, frustrating and it, it's wrong. They're, they're in a cult. You know, it's like a cult that told you that the truth was that the president was a Manchurian candidate being manipulated from abroad. And the reason, you know, they joined the cult was because they couldn't accept that the sort of order of things, the neoliberal order, did not get ratified by the voters. Like, they couldn't believe that someone would say, no, the way shit is, is just terrible. And the person you were nominating was terrible. And the same thing happened with Brexit. People are like, no, nobody wants this. Or not nobody, it was like 50-50, but like a substantial amount of people do not want this. They don't like the way things are. And, and so they're like, oh, they're the deplorables. They're, you know, they're, they're the, they just write off half the population. And it's part of their identity. You know, what do they do next? Well, the media and the people you know, behind it, and I don't know who it is exactly, they started to use that sense of you know, den- you know, denial and disbelief and sort of keep, you know, kept building this narrative around, like, no, this isn't possible. People really couldn't have voted this. That must have been hacked. The election must have been cheated. There must have been some... And, and so then they said, well, and in fact, he's a Russian spy. You know, they, they took it to another step. And then people were wrapped up in the identity of this is, this is what I believe. You know, this is, what I, this is who I am. I believe this. And I think we're playing with fire here. And it's like, I just read this book that's actually really good called Snow Crash. It's written in 1992, sci-fi novel. And it's pretty deep. I mean, the characters are kind of comic booky, but the themes are really deep. And one of them is just about how information can you know a virus like computer viruses just information so it was like a dna based virus information and you know part of the problem that was going on in the in the story was that viruses were corrupting people's minds the way your hard drive could get corrupted and i feel like this sort of disinformation campaign that's come from like the intelligence communities and from the networks and everything it's almost like it's spread a virus to people it's, and in the book, it describes it really well. I mean, this is 1992, so it was totally different. But it's amazing how prescient the guy was. And it's like, I, th- I think, I'm talking to people, and I'm like, you have a, a brain virus. Like, you can't, even, you can't even acknowledge something like, oh, yeah, actually, the Mueller report said he was kind of a scumbag and tried to get out of this. But at the same time, like, there was zero proof or evidence of Russian collusion. Like, there was just, that's just the fact. But the virus in their mind is not letting them even acknowledge that. And, and I think it's, and it's, it's caught up in who they are, their identity. So it's, it's a messed up time. It's, it's, we're in a messed up situation. I, I, I don't understand it. I'm just trying to reach the people that, whose brains don't have the virus. You know, they're just like, yeah, I, people who disagree with me, who agree with me, I don't care. Just your brain isn't subject to a virus where you're identifying with these beliefs that you've been told to think by God knows who, you know, for what reason or what motive. 
and that you're just adopting it like you know somebody who believed whatever the Pope said or whatever you know the local priest said. I, I feel like that's where we're at, and I'm I'm talking about fundamental beliefs, and I don't want to get into too many here because they're very very controversial, but question everything. And I mean everything. I mean every single thing that you think, oh, those idiots, they don't know what they're talking about. They're arguing this. Question your side of it. That's the healthiest thing to do. And I couldn't agree more, man. I, I totally keep preaching that because it's only getting any worse the other way, as far as I can tell. Yeah. You and I can have a conversation. It's the shit that we can't say even on the podcast. You and I can have a conversation. You might not agree. I might not agree. I might say, yeah, maybe that idea is not true, but we can have the conversation. You're not going to be like, turn me in. You know, you're not going to say, oh, oh, you, you broke to that topic? Oh, no, 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 no. I got to turn you in. And it is important to find like-minded people who can have conversations and not be part of this religious cult. And, and I feel and, like... And, and, and even not like-minded people. Just the people that can have these conversations right, right. if they aren't like-minded. Right. I mean, no, I mean like-minded... Really right. You could totally disagree with me. You might think my politics are idiotic. That's fine. That's 100% fine but like-minded in the sense that they're like, oh yeah, you think that? Nah, I don't agree. What, what, what evidence do you have? Let's, let's have like a, a considered discussion about you know, what's true and what's false, even the most fundamental things. And the people I consider my good friends are the people I can have that conversation with. The people that the second you spring it up, it's like they look at you like you're some kind of heretic. I, I would feel like you know, I will never be good friends with you because you, these people are they, they have the virus and... They have, they have to get well first before we can, you know, really get beyond just sort of a, a very, uh, you know, perfunctory, yeah. casual sort of friendliness, you know. And, and so it's like, okay, I got you got to be judicious who you even talk to. And having said that, it's not super easy. I mean, obviously, politics and religion, you know, they're tough topics and people get emotional, myself included. And I took me a while to have a very close friend who's very different on the political spectrum. And we couldn't, we got to a point where we couldn't talk, you know, five years ago, but both improved in that area immensely since then. And not only is it just better for our friendship and just talking, but I learned that my side isn't always right. And the other side, which may have seemed extremely opposite of me, had valid points. And I decided to shut up and learn and listen. And, and, and even if you think they're coming from a, a, a completely opposite side of you, they, there's going to be some truths there. And the best way to learn is to listen. And I've actually, I like people that are different than me more so in, this, in that sense, actually. And and, and really trying to learn how, why they think that way more, you know? So I think it's possible. Um, it's certainly not easy, but uh, keep, keep preaching list. Yeah. Well, yeah, I hope so. I mean, you want to be careful when you're hanging out with friends. Careful is not, that's not the yeah. uh, mode you want to be in, you know? Yeah. Obviously everyone should be, have some carefulness not to be a total asshole to somebody else for no reason, but you don't want to have to be careful of what you say or what topics you bring up or, Ooh, that's a sensitive thing. Oh, that's something they really identify with, and we really shouldn't be talking about that. First of all, stop fucking identifying. It doesn't matter what I say, because only the people who already don't identify would get this point, but stop fucking identifying with shit. It's like with your party, with your... This, everyone's like identifying with this thing, so like this belief that I'm criticizing, oh, no, no, that's my identity. I mean, if you no want to be a vegan, great. Be a vegan. I, I honestly think anyone who wants to be should. I don't think it's healthy for the long term might be good for like a cleanse or something, but I don't think for the long term, but maybe I'm wrong. And maybe you love it and you want to do it. That's your business. Of course you should be a vegan. But if we're going to talk about whether veganism or meat is healthy, don't get angry. It's not, it's not something you need to get angry about. You might disagree. You could say, no, I just don't think the evidence shows that. But it's not, it's not an attack on your identity. Okay, It's just not. And I feel like if someone wants to say, well, oh, you know, you eat a lot of meat or you eat, 
you don't eat a lot of grains. Well, you know, grains give, I, I'm not going to get upset if you challenge what my practices or my beliefs. Totally. All right, man. All right, man. Well, uh, we'll see. Hopefully one of these weeks, one of our teams will do good, do well. And someone will have something to say <laughs> that's positive. Hopefully. Well, we can only hope at this point. It's, it's, it's pretty ugly so far. All right, man. Good stuff. Let's right. take it easy, Dalton. Talk to you next week.